0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and today we have a returning guest, uh, John David Mann. John, welcome back to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. It's most excellent to be here. Thank you, John. And today we get a special treat because we're joined with your wife, Anna. Anna, how are you?
1: I'm great and so happy to be here.
0: Well, I'm so happy to have you guys here. And if you guys want to go back, so here's what we're going to be talking about today. Here's what I've seen with so many of my clients, my friends, just people that are reaching out to me all the time that over the last couple of years, not only through COVID, but I also think, you know, I'm 55. So we're about to be empty nesters. Here's what I'm seeing is marriages right now are not only under attack, but they're stressed. And, you know, John and I, you and I were just talking about this with Anna, right? It's not like it's in crisis. Like I need to go, you know, into the marriage ER, but it feels like, you know what? It's not what it was. It's not quite right. Like, I'm not excited about the next couple of years with my partner, but I really want to be like on a scale of one to 10, like 10 being, I wake up in the morning and I cannot wait to see my wife's face. right? And talk to her and spend the day with her. One being I'm about to go file, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I think there's a lot of marriages in that five, six, seven, maybe even an eight range. And you know, it would feel amazing if I could just go up a plus one. What would that look like just get a little bit gooder? And I know that that is one of your favorite words. (laughs) It's one of my favorite words. But if you guys want to go back, first of all, we had an amazing conversation about the recipe. If you guys go to eternalleadership.com forward slash 182, that's my interview with John. And then we also did, John, if you guys have or listening have probably heard of the book Go Giver. And John co authored that with Bob Berg. And that episode is episode 40. If you guys want to go back and listen to both of those, the Go Giver was an absolutely, I think, a revolutionary book that helped even shape my philosophy, because you guys know where I come from, right? It's about who you are as a person. Yes, is the key to unlocking your purpose, your calling, a great life, fulfillment, and also a great marriage. And through that, you too, Anna and John, you have written The Go-Giver Marriage. And there is some phenomenal, this is a book whose time has come. This is the, There's a lot of marriage books out there. But based on where you're coming from and how you put it out there, and you know what, and you wrote it as a, um, what do you call it, a fable within a parable? Those are my favorite kind of books, which actually follows the story, because I love story, versus just a marriage book, like, you know, do this, do that. I lose interest in those, (laughs) right? But when I start reading about an actual story, it's written as a, like a nonfiction with teaching and folks, you're going to love it. And here's something, you know what? When my wife and I, seven years into our marriage, had our first probably really you know tough spot. We had just miscarried, lost a child, trying to figure out what's next. Um, I was in the process of getting out of the military. My dream as a fighter pilot was now gone. So I was not in a good place. And one of the things that our pastor had us do was take a book and read 10 pages a day before we went to bed and then talk about it. Now, the thing that I had to resist was to, you know, read a section and say, hey, Donna, did you see the third paragraph on page 18? <laughs> you really you probably really take notice there, right? So, you know, what? I had to learn not to read for her, but to read for me. But yeah. as we just started reading all these different books and talking about it, It was absolutely transformational in our marriage. So I'm recommending everybody out there who's married, get this book, The Go-Giver Marriage, and go do that. Read 10 pages a day with your spouse and just talk about what you took away for yourself. I'll guarantee you things will be transformed. Now, just a little background for you guys that don't know John and Anna. John, you've authored, what, 30 books now? Something like that, yes. So I've authored one. My first book came out a year <laughs> ago, On Purpose with Purpose. I can't imagine getting to 30. I'm thinking about number two, and I'm kind of starting to stress out. A whole bunch <laughs> of bestsellers. Anna, you had a degree, and we we're talking about this, and I can't wait to do some follow-up. But in clinical psychology, yes. educator, a therapist, you did a lot of some corporate training, speaking, coaching, and you are both all in on what you're doing right now around marriage. So let me ask you a question, because both of you, just a little background. This is not your first marriage, you two together. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Correct. Yes, that is correct.
0: And you know, what? I think there's so many people out there that have been through marriage, been through divorce, you know, and they're like, man, can I ever get to that place where I really want to go? But You know, in this season of your life and everything you've gone through, maybe you guys can share a little bit about maybe what led to the creation of this book in this season of your life.
1: I just want to regroup and go back to the part about being divorced, just to say that I was not only in an unequally yoked marriage, but I lost my first child at birth. And Mm. my parents had tried to talk me out of that marriage, but I was young and I wasn't fully listening. And so as the years went on, the divide between us as two people who had very different spiritual views was very big. So what led us to write this book was the original Go-Giver. When it first came off the printer, I read the very first draft and said to John, this is the most amazing book. I'm just stunned. And I feel like this would make an incredible book about marriage. And at that time, I had been a marriage therapist for many years and had the background in the training. And yet I feel there's something that gets stuck sometimes in the therapy room that's not as effective as having simple things that you personally can do every day to change the tone of your marriage. And that's what the premise of the five secrets to lasting love are. They're, They're the secrets to how you change your behavior in the marriage and the impact that that will have on the marriage.
0: And when you say stuck, when you say things got stuck, what kind of stuck was that?
1: You mean stuck in the therapy room? Yeah. Yeah, when couples come into therapy, I think in the first several sessions, both of them spend a lot of time trying to convince this therapist that their view of the marriage is right and the other person's (laughs) view of the marriage is wrong. And by the way, here's the list of things that he needs to change or she needs to change. And they get down to a lot of bickering about things like intimacy and frequency of sex and all kinds of issues that really aren't at the core of what's wrong. And so I often would give homework. And eventually I did what the professor in our book does. And that is that I closed my practice to couples and I worked with individuals. And the reason is, is that you know, what I said to you a few minutes ago, I can actually help somebody in a one hour session working with them privately. I can give them all kinds of tools for changing their marriage that are not they're not going to get if they're working together in a therapy room. But at the same time that, you know, if both people in the couple work privately, they'll come away with a lot of tools for how they're changing their behavior their attitude and the tone that they're bringing to the marriage. And it really, it's a deep shift. And people really are surprised and shocked by how simple it is to change little things that you do every day to bring that goodness to your partner. And it does have to do with giving.
0: Yeah, it does. And Anna, thank you for saying, you know, what Don and I found more by accident is that when we did things together, you know, we've had therapy or, you know, some Worked with some uh, counselors, you know, through our journey, both from the accident, our marriage, trying to repair everything after the accident with our kids. Mm-hmm. But when we were in a room together, we were both positioning so that, let's say, you would be our advocate from our, you know, trying to change the perspective for what I wanted. I <laughs> never thought of it before from the position of the therapist, but man, what a, sticky place to be in where both people are trying to position you as their wingman in the process, so to speak. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. And you have to stay neutral. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And you have to stay neutral.
0: Okay. Awesome. And John, you were going to share a little bit about how you came here yourself.
2: Yeah. I was just going to say about the wingman is, and the funny thing about that is that if you, if either one of you succeeded in swaying the therapist to your particular side, it would do the two of you as a couple, absolutely no good whatsoever. <laughs> it would not move you forward an inch because it's entirely missing the point you know, of what's going on in the room, but I'll come back to that. But yeah, just a quick loop back. I had been married previously, as you said. And when I got married the first time, by the way, I just assumed that it was for life. That was my intention. That was my plan. Uh, that's what my parents were. And my parents were very happily married. By the way, both of our parents had absolutely wonderful marriages. I learned just about everything that you can read in this book from my parents but I didn't know that I'd learned it. I had a great model for marriage but I didn't understand what I had. You know, as a young man I think I had, you know, cleverness but not wisdom, you know, confidence but not humility. I thought that I knew a lot of things but I had so much more to learn than than I understood. And so I kept bumping smack into horrific losses and tragedies. I lost a business. I went through a bankruptcy. Like Anna, I also, and like yourself, I also lost a child. uh, My first son at the age of 10 months, I lost my marriage, which again was not my plan. Mm -hmm. And as a friend of ours, once said, there was one person who was always there at the scene of the crime. And that turned out to be me. So I reached a point when I, Anna and I, were first together. We were first friends and colleagues uh, before there was any kind of thought of a romantic entanglement. But when we first became involved and I realized what my feelings for her really were, I wanted to immediately get married. And she said, you know, I think we shouldn't do this. I think we need to wait. And I absolutely resisted that idea with all 40 (laughs) horses.
0: What's the reason you wanted to just charge headlong straight into that? Because of the
2: confidence I had and because of the lack of humility that I had. What I didn't yet understand was the work (laughs) that I needed to do in myself. I didn't yet understand how many of the challenges in my life were really self-generated more than they were circumstantially generated. And so you know, we stayed friends, we stayed close, we stayed in touch, but we We took it slow, as they say. And I reached, after a number of years, and I am getting to the point here, after a number of years, John, I reached a point where I began to understand, to, I guess you could say, get in touch with, a lot more of what was going on for me than I had previously understood. And I reached a point where I said to Anna one day, you know, I just don't know if I'm the marrying type. I didn't know if I had what it took to have a happy marriage. And you know, I don't think that I lost faith in myself. I think that I never really had faith in myself. I had confidence, but not faith. And I think it was starting to understand my limitations, my possibilities. I sort of began to build a little bit of maturity and we both came to a place where we could get married. And we did get married and we've been married now for years and it's just been the most extraordinary thing in my life. We're so indescribably happy together. I never quite thought that marriage could be like this, but oh my gosh, it is. And the book is, you know, we just, we want to share that with the world. We had friends for years who would say things to us like, what's your secret sauce? How are you guys so happy? How is it so fresh after all these years? Why do you guys feel like newlyweds when you're really oldie wits? <laughs> <laughs> and um, we wanted to reverse engineer the answer to that question and just share it with other people.
0: Well, first of all, After you guys met, it was, what, 10 years until, Anna, you accepted John's proposal? So I'm sure that that was a pretty big day for you, Han John? It was a very big day. Yes, it was. It was in Hawaii, actually.
2: Yes. The 10 years to close the deal. That's right.
0: 10 years. Well, you know what? (laughs) God doesn't deny prayer. Sometimes he just delays the miracle (laughs) and the answer. But you said something, and I'd like to get both of your thoughts on this. You said, you know, going through this, right? You wanted a happy marriage, but you didn't know if you could have one or if you deserved to have one. And I'm thinking that, man, there, there's a lot of baggage that I think all of us listening can relate to. We've had these thoughts. I don't know if I can get, or if I had a good marriage, how do, I don't know if I can get back there. What would you say to somebody who's really struggling in that mindset that either I don't know if I can? Or if I deserve, which is a pretty toxic place also.
1: Yeah, I'll start with deserve because it does come back to faith and it comes back to believing that God wants the best, the very, very best for you, that God loves you unconditionally. God knows you're a sinner and you know is still madly in love with you. And so you have to learn. And I'll backstep one moment to say that every one of us arrives in a marriage with our history and whatever emotional and psychological baggage we carried from our childhood. So if you had a parent who shamed you constantly, if you had a father who yelled at you a lot, if you had any kind of material from your history, which we all have, um, that that's right smack in the middle between you and your wife or you and your husband. And any kind of trauma, you know, if a woman has been sexually assaulted or, you know, any kinds of history that uh, that's all impacting the marriage. And so I think that self-compassion and learning self-love, and I'm not talking about narcissism or grandiosity, I'm talking about the kind of love that you would extend to yourself that God extends to you so that you have compassion for the places that you fall short. And that you ask for forgiveness from your partner, just like you would ask for forgiveness from God. And I'm not talking about big sins. I'm not talking about going and cheating and then asking for forgiveness. I'm talking more about the ways that you would ignore or dismiss and not take care of or give in the relationship that really do have an impact on a daily basis. So you know that issue of faith is a huge one. I think that sometimes people who really, you know, see themselves as devout Christians, you know, fall short of having faith in themselves because there's a place in all of us that is not sure if we're worthy. And it's really important to feed that place and to nourish yourself, to take care of yourself like you would take care of a young child. Because we all, when it comes to self-esteem, it's as delicate as a flower. And this is a quote directly from the book everyone's self-esteem is as delicate as a flower and that child is still very much alive inside of you.
2: I'd like to add to that, which is that I've had people come to us who have doubts about whether there's the right person out there. Is that the right person for me? And, you know, my answer for that is always there absolutely is." is. There is the right person out there for everybody. It's really a question of you have to be the right you. Is really becoming yourself, being yourself and letting your beacon shine so that that person can find you. And I think part of that is exactly what Anna is saying, is having the faith, having the unshakable faith, like the roots of an oak tree in a storm, that you deserve happiness, that you deserve a fulfilled life. And here's the thing. Here's my proof of that. You're here. (laughs) You were created. You are unique. You were put here for a reason that nobody else fulfills. Each individual, I believe that's true for And there is the partner for you on this planet. When you start to have that kind of unshakable faith in yourself, and again, that's not arrogance. That's not overconfidence. That's not braggadocio. That's faith in kind of the core, your deservability, your essential lovability. When you have that kind of faith, it frees you to become opening to correction. And I think that has been, for me, maybe the biggest lesson of my adult life. I think one of the most important and valuable adult traits is the capacity to say, oh, I was wrong. Thank you. I was wrong. And whether that correction comes from circumstance, comes from, I had the experience as a writer of getting correction from an editor. And so I'll submit a story that I've written a manuscript I've written to an editor. And I think the story is perfect. I've made it as good as I can possibly make it. It can't get no gooder.
0: (laughs) And your editor is like, dude, you gotta rewrite this whole thing.
2: The editor comes back and says, I like this. I like this. This is basically, but you know, this section here doesn't quite work. This section here, I think you should probably just take it out and have you considered doing this this way. And my first reaction is always, always, no, she's wrong. It's not true. It was perfect the way it was. And I have to give myself the space. It usually takes about four days, five days, maybe a week to have the emotional reaction all the while back in my mind. I know it's the editor, it's the editor. I have to trust the editor. The editor is probably right. I just need to find my way into it. For me, God is like the big editor. You know, every day I submit another page of the manuscript I'm working on and it's my life. It's me. Every day I submit another page And then the day after or the week after or the month after, the page comes back with markings on it and says, I like this. This is good. This part here, I'm not sure it works. And I cringe. But, you know, these are the catastrophes that befell my early life, the bankruptcy, the loss of the child, the loss of the marriage, the loss of the business and so forth. One of the things that's so precious about our marriage to me is that I know Anna loves me. You know, one of the secrets in the book is having unshakable belief in the other person. Not necessarily approval of everything they do. It's not meaning that you think they're perfect because nobody is, even close. (laughs) It's just that I can mess up and I know that she'll still love me. I can mess up, I know that she'll still believe in me. And that frees me up to admit all kinds of mistakes I've made, errors I've made, and it's like, (sighs) ah, I think it's the first time in my life I felt that free to say, oops, I guess I blew that one.
0: (laughs) You know, something that really made this come get real for me is, you know, 10 years ago when I should have died and I was laying in the hospital bed two days into this two year process and they came in and they had to take off my whole skull. They did it two different craniotomies, but this was the first one. And I was convinced in that moment, even though I'd just been in God's presence, you know, you said before, I'm not sure I'm worthy. Do you know, John, as soon as I felt when I was in God's presence, his unconditional love, Mm -hmm. it transformed my life in an instant because I knew in that moment that anything and everything I had ever done was not even relevant to the love and the relationship that the father God has with me right now in the present, because laying there with my body crushed, my first thought was, I'll never forget this is I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this, you know what? And I've read scripture and I've been in the Bible and I, you know, read about (laughs) grace and unconditional love, but until I experienced it, And now I'm thinking, you know what, God has extended that beautiful gift to me. And you guys talk about the secrets in the book as gifts, and I love that. But he extended this gift to me of grace and love. And that's what I keep bringing myself back to is, why would I not extend that to Donna in humility and love and service? And in that, though, when I was convinced that I was going to die because the doctor came in and basically said, you're probably not going to survive the surgery to my wife. And oh, my wife gosh. had to go get our will and oh, living no. will faxed up there for them to check before they went into the surgery, right? So imagine that like they leave the room. And even though I just had this experience, I'm actually thinking, okay, next weekend's my funeral. And I started playing the tape. And I didn't, you know, at first, I'm, you know, thinking of the good things. But then I started thinking about what would Donna maybe really say? You know what I did afterwards? I actually wrote an obituary that I want to live a life so that Donna gives that obituary someday. And I've never shared it with Mm -hmm. her, but I've shared it with some close wingmen of mine. One of the things in there, Anna, is I want Donna to feel like the most loved woman in the world. And I fall Mm -hmm. down on that a lot. But I also think having a vision for the kind of marriage that you want helps you move past that place of could I or do I deserve it? Because if you have a target and you partner with the father and you have people in your life like John and Anna, you can now just start taking those small steps toward it. And with that, I'd love for you guys to give a preview of the book because the book is uh, just coming out and you wrote this as a fiction, which I love. You guys have now referred to the five secrets a few times. Could we touch on some of what those things are and those things that we're going to be, pulling out of the book as we read it?
1: Absolutely. Go ahead, Anna, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, You know, there's five secrets and honestly, they seem so simple that sometimes, you know, I think that people think, well, you know, that's just so simple, you know, but the question is, will you actually put them into place? Will you actually use them? Will you actually bring them to your marriage every day? And so one of them the first secret is to find ways, and I'm speaking about authentic ways, to appreciate your spouse every day. And I usually, when I'm coaching somebody, I will actually ask them to find three things every day, and I work them up to four, five, or even six things every day that you appreciate about your wife or your husband. And tell them. Yes, exactly. And the specific thing needs to be that you actually and it's not just like, you know, oh gosh, I like your hair today. That's not one of them. It has to be Even something I that, really
0: appreciate her hair.
1: Well, you can take it to the next <laughs> That
0: can be an add-on. Step. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can take it to the next step, but you know, it needs to be something that's real and authentic that's believable and that's really sincere. Because that's what people hear. They hear the tone So, if you're just thinking, I'm going to get these three out of the way over breakfast, gee, your hair looks good today. And um, gee, thanks for picking up the kids. And, uh, you know,
2: (laughs) great coffee, honey.
1: Yeah, good coffee. And okay, I'm done. I did my part. Whereas if you stopped her later in the day and said, you know, I love the way you talk to our children, I watch you sometimes and I'm in awe of your patience. And I just feel like you're such a good mother. And I so appreciate this about you because I'm not always the best father and I'm busy. I'm, I'm harried. I'm trying to make sure that we, I bring home the bacon and I sometimes skip over things that you would never skip over. And, you know, she will melt in front of you when you say things in that way.
0: I was also just thinking about the breakfast and the coffee. Now think about that. What if I went to Donna and said, you know, honey, I know how busy you are and everything going on. And when you. Made that extra time to get up early and make me breakfast and have coffee ready, and I just felt so loved. Thank you, you're amazing, right? Perfect. Just something, just acknowledge those little things example. that they're doing, and all of a sudden perfect. everybody feels that that's just a good day. Everybody yes. feels and better. It's yes. the yes. way everybody. you
1: brought it too. It's the way yeah, you yeah. brought it too, because you made sure that she understood how much you appreciated the way that she takes care of you. And that's just- We do
2: that every day. We have that conversation yeah. you just had, John. We have that conversation every day. And it goes both ways. And by the way, that can be three, you know, ideally it's three new things. You don't want me think, noticing new things because you're finding more and more things to appreciate. But it's also okay to say that again tomorrow. <laughs> it's also okay to say it again next week. These things don't get old as long as they're of the moment and they're authentic. I'm speaking out of turn, sweetheart. Please go ahead.
0: Can I ask you guys a question, though? When I was in a very less mature place, something I'm still working on after 32 years of marriage, but I would often do some of these things and start these so that she would start doing those back because that was a sense of my self-worth, my identity, my you know being affirmed as a husband and a man that was missing. That's how I viewed it. And I would start doing all of these things and it wasn't reciprocated. So that I'd be like, you know what, what's the point? It's not going to get better. So I I know that that is a, a bad mindset place, but could you guys address if maybe somebody else listening can relate to that, you know, that knucklehead place that I've let myself get into many times?
1: Well, that is the pure definition of codependence. It's doing something in order to get what you want. Mm -hmm. So in effect, you're trying to change your partner into who you want her to be instead of accepting and receiving her where she is. And people do that every day in marriages. I mean, it is the definition of how things get tangled and how things get confused and difficult is that when you're constantly trying to mold your partner into who you want them to be, You're essentially using the compliments and the appreciation to manipulate. And that's why the coaching individually is so powerful, because I'll tell you something. I coach a lot of women, and I will ask women in a very straightforward way, what's your intimacy like and how often? And I'll ask them questions. Do you let your husband know that you find him attractive? Do you let your husband know that you think he's like the man? You know? and I, you know, because I want to hear what they say back, because a lot of times they're like, you know, you start to get the laundry list of what's wrong in the bedroom. And it's really purely their perspective. But one of my strong beliefs is that just like God will build your spirit and build your faith. If you let him in, if you take the time, to appreciate someone in deep and sincere ways with no expectation of something back. God doesn't give you the lottery, just, you know, expecting you to now take care of children all over the world or, you know, use it in a specific way. You know, God is gifting us all the time. God gave you a new job. God gave you, you know, a beautiful baby with no problems. You know, it's just, God is just the gifts are endless. Look outside at nature And just tell me that God isn't creating beauty for you 24 seven. So it's that whole idea that, you know, if you really take the time to build the other person through letting them know how special they are, how amazing they are and how much you appreciate them and love them, that has a kind of power that makes men and women light up. I mean, John and I, In our sixth decade, and you know, when he tells me I'm beautiful, I definitely perk up and listen (laughs) because you know, there's a certain age at which women start feeling like they aren't beautiful, they aren't as attractive, and you know, that's true after women have babies. You know, it's like self esteem, and the entire media is telling women they have to look a certain way, they have to be a certain shape, they have to. You know, I mean, there's just so many rules to how you're supposed to be in the world and men are supposed to be successful and making a lot of money. I mean, if you look at how our culture dictates to men and women, we all feel like we're falling short. And so when you have a spouse that's willing to give you the gift of appreciating you at a deep and profound level, you know, I've seen husbands go out and get a second job because their wife was telling them, it's okay. You're earning enough. I love you we are fine.
2: I'll piggyback on that real quickly, just to say, you know, this is something that Anna touched on in there, which is just, it, it relates to another one of the secrets in the book. And that is, we call it allowing, allowing the other person. And that means allowing the other person to be who they are, the way they are. And it's a little less obvious or it's a little more subtle, perhaps than appreciating, which is something you actively do through your words. You actively speak through your words. Allowing is, Always assuming the best about the other person, assuming that they mean well, giving them the benefit of the doubt. It means giving them space when they need it, giving them time when they need it, taking up slack when they need you to take up the slack, doing extra chores that you maybe don't normally do when they need you to do that, rather than having the demands, wanting them to be a certain way. You know, having the we, we talk about giving up the scorecard in the book. And giving up the scorecard is, you know, I think doesn't usually need to be explained because everybody who's been married immediately knows what that means. But (laughs) the scorecard is, well, I did the dishes and, you know, don't you think you should dry them and put them away or I cooked, you could at least do the dishes or I did the dishes five times this week. It's Saturday. You could at least do it now. Or I did this and this and this and this, you could at least do that and that and that and that it's all the ways that we keep track of whether or not our marriage is fair. (laughs) marriage is not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. It's supposed to be about joy. It's supposed to be about our life together. So allowing means letting the person be who they are, the way they are, trusting that they are growing. You don't need to attend to their growth. You need to attend to your growth. You don't need to attend to their development and their maturation. Trust that they'll take care of that. You need to take care of being the best you you can possibly be. And that gives both of us a lot of space to be ourselves.
0: And, you know, here's something I found in that is that, you know, when let's say I have a bad day and I snap at Donna because I did the dishes five days in a row and yeah. she doesn't want to do them, right? You know what? I give myself grace because I know me. But if the roles were reversed, I'm going to assign motive to Donna's behavior to then reinforce some kind of narrative that I have and that that's a really bad place. And I've had to learn to like you just said John, it's been a process to actually see the best in Donna. You know what? Maybe she's had a long day, maybe she didn't sleep well. You know what? What if I just did the dishes tonight as a way to just bless and honor her cuz she's an amazing mom. And then, you know what? The next time it's instead of becoming then an argument or we both feel, you know, like wounded avoiders in a completely avoidable situation, all of a sudden it becomes something that then blesses her. And then that blessing eventually comes back. So I think we have to be careful about how we perceive. And I love what you said, right? See the best in the other person, assume a good place. And let's just use that as a starting point.
1: Well, I'll add to the allowing from the standpoint of when Donna took care of you for two years after your accident, that was allowing in spades because she mm-hmm. had to allow for the fact that you were a broken man and you had healing to do and without her care you had no one to take care of you and so she had to do everything she had to be the one that made the dinners that cleaned the house that cleaned up you know that did everything because you were not able to at that time so that also you know is the definition of you know really taking that secret to the next level of you know just accepting that sometimes you know you're going to be in that role.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Uh Donna's amazing. And you know what though, you know, since then there's been days where I lose sight of that because I get in my own head. And those are the days where yes, you know, I need to go to her and apologize. I've gotten really good at apologizing, but not just saying <laughs> I'm sorry. You. you know what being a, a guy I don't know whether this is a guy thing, but how about this? Being John and being an engineer and being entrepreneur and a CEO. An apology to me became very transactional because I did not, and I don't like conflict. I grew up in a house with a lot of conflict. I was the middle child, the peacemaker, the avoider. So when conflict would happen, I would immediately either get out of it or be so nasty that we didn't want to continue the conversation. And here's what I had to realize was, you know what, in humility, I had to go and say, you know what, I did that. You didn't want to do dishes, and you were tired, and I snapped at you. You know what, that was wrong. And I apologize. Not tell her a story, right, not justify. Mm-hmm. And then just say, you know what, honey, I want to give you permission to hold me accountable to not react like that again in the future. When I asked for accountability the first time, Anna, I remember Donna going, yeah, I'm afraid to hold you accountable because of your anger issues. And I would get frustrated. (laughs) And it was like you guys talked about earlier, right? Everything is like this constant feedback loop that's going to help you get better and have a better marriage. And then over time, as I really worked on myself, all of a sudden Donna started being comfortable holding me accountable in areas that I'd given her permission to. And I got to tell you, that feedback and that changed over time, our communication to a place that, my goodness, is 32 years of marriage. You know, we have the kind of marriage today that, you know, we had 30 years ago. which, But it's taken a lot of work to get back to this place over all the damage that was done from the accident.
2: You know, it, the beautiful thing about what you just described is that you're allowing her to help make you a better person. There's this... Great line in the movie, as good as it gets, with Jack Nicholson, who has all kinds of problems. He's got OCD and he's a cranky, uh, you know, antisocial uh, old pudger And he says to Helen Hunt, You make me want to be a better man. And it's like allowing the other person to make you more accurately who you could be, to make you more of yourself. You know, what could be better in a marriage than that? That's what your spouse is there for is to help you become the very best you possible.
0: Yeah. My goodness, I wish we could keep talking for hours. We need to have you come back on. How about this? Let's talk through one more of the secrets of the gifts. And then we all need to start a go-giver marriage book reading club. So we all have the awesomest marriages ever.
1: Also, there will be group coaching classes, which I'm gonna run on Zoom, that allows people to come in from all over the country and be part of, you know, a collective. So churches can start them, you know, where a women's group in a church or a men's group in a church can decide to come in and coach together. And those are opportunities for people to not only be transparent about their behavior, but not in a way that is like embarrassing, but rather that you can work on the secrets together. And I do recommend what your pastor recommended, which was read a certain amount of the book every night. Because if you take away a little bit of the secrets every night and then actually spend the time every day, you know, keeping a journal if you must, but doing something that actually keeps count of how you're using these secrets and how you're working with them, you'll be just really surprised.
0: So, yeah, and, I love, and I love that you said that, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of marriages, they're okay, they're good, we want to go up to next level, some are in crisis, even when Don and I have had some difficult times, she has never, and she'd be okay with me sharing this because I asked her, she's never wanted to go to like a marriage retreat because her perception, because we haven't been to one, believe it or not, in 30 years, is that I have to talk about all the negative stuff, the bedroom stuff, the arguments, and she's a private yeah. person. She doesn't want to air that stuff in public. But what you're talking about with the go-giver is actually focusing on the good stuff, how do we actually take where we're at right now? Let's find the yes. good of where we're at right now and build on it and get to a healthier place. So this isn't some you know airing out dirty laundry. This is about taking some of the best stuff we have in our closet and putting that on for each other. And <laughs> I think there's such a need right now in the church for a resource like this, because I do remember Don and I were struggling, it was a couple of years ago. This is actually just right before COVID. And we're like, hey, what if we went in, you know, I think we need something like this. And you know what? We couldn't find one that we wanted to attend. Uh, Either the people or the church that was sponsoring it or the timing. And this would be the perfect thing to bring into the church. I'd love to follow up with you guys and help bring this into our church and see if this is something Donna would like to do with me. I think that'd be a ball.
1: Yeah. And the beauty is, is I would, I actually do like to have those classes be women in one class and men in another, because it gives you opportunities Mm. to hit directly, because I like to have John in the events with men, because it's a very different tone. And, you know, I, I really do feel like men and women don't understand each other sometimes. And it surprises me. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's like, yeah, we all have different habits. We were raised in different ways, and our culture asks us to be special and perfect in certain ways. You know, women are often really judged for how they look, men are really judged by how much money they make and how successful they are. So there's just a lot of different criteria. So, yeah, they're very powerful. And I will say right out right here on the call. We never ask people to air dirty laundry of any sort. This is not a group grope session. And in fact, I've been in women's groups where they were bonding around discussing what was wrong with their husband. And I have no regard for that. I don't think that that's a way to create closeness or a bond between women at all. And in fact, I think the boundary of not speaking negatively about your husband or your wife in a group setting is really important.
0: I'm so glad you said that because you know what? That gossip, which has become like a majority of the conversation and it's accepted in our society today. And what is gossip? It's talking negative about somebody. And I'll tell everybody right now, it's a cancer. When I do leadership training for a team at a company and gossip exists in that team or that organization, and I'll tell you right now, it does. Mm -hmm. Do you know this has been studied? You lose. Eight to 12 hours per person per week in productivity when gossip exists. Because wow. I'm reinforcing those negative mindsets. I'm eroding trust. I'm questioning motives. I'm running everything through a filter that mm-hmm. is probably not accurate, most likely not accurate at all. Even if somebody is a jerk, guess what? Instead of going to Anna and complaining about it, why don't I go to Donna and have a conversation and say, honey, I have to learn how to have a conversation and give you some feedback on some things. And this could just be me. But it, you know what? It's just really stuck in my head and it's it's preventing us to get to where we want to go. And I don't even know how to have the conversation. But you know what? Just even saying that starts a dialogue that is, it's not going to have a downside. If you approach it with love, if you approach it with humility, if you approach it by just focusing on maybe some of the facts versus the narrative. I mean, these are skills that we have to learn in life and in leadership and in a marriage that unfortunately just aren't taught to us anymore.
1: And you determine the tone of the marriage by your behavior. So if you're constantly coming to your partner and saying, you know, I, I joke with women about this a lot because they'll he's home for work for five minutes and she says, we need to talk. (laughs) The first thing that happens for him is total fear rises up in his being. And he's like, wait a minute, I just want to take off my shoes. What have I done wrong now? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the tone. It's like, you know, this isn't working. We need to talk. There's just so many ways that you can not have that conversation and do things that change the whole tone of the marriage in a positive way and that keep that love just brilliantly alive. So I focus on that with people. I don't really want to spend 15 minutes of our hour session listening to the dirty laundry versus talking about the ways that we can build the marriage, the ways that we can make the marriage you know, stronger than it's ever been, the ways that we can make your wife feel like you love her so deeply that it's just better than she ever dreamed.
0: Most loved woman in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I do remember I did have a friend, you know, because I've shared that with some friends of mine. And my friend Jay called and he goes, hey, John, does Donna feel like the most loved woman in the world today? I'm like, why did you call today? Like, all right, hold on. I got I got some work to do. I will call you back because I wanted to be accountable. But, you know, as we folks out there, listen, if your marriage isn't great, because you know what you got into not greatness on your own, with how you think, with your mindset, with your attitudes, with how you process and look at all the stuff that you've brought into life, that you've walked through and experienced from growing up through today. And to think that you can get out of it and get back to a place of greatness alone, I think, well, this is my opinion, because this is what I've learned about myself, that's a bit delusional. We need help. We need a wingman. We need somebody to come alongside us to shine a light. And for me, a big part of that was the person I saw in the mirror and everything I was bringing in the marriage versus this huge gap between, because this was a question a coach asked me, what does God see when he looks at John? What does God see when he looks at our marriage? What is that beautiful thing that he has anointed and sanctified? And when he looks at you, he is absolutely bursting with joy and love. And if it doesn't feel like that's where you're at today, like you said in the beginning, Anna, that's where God wants you to get to. And there's a gap. And I love where you guys are coming from. When you work on yourself and you just get a little bit better, you find these little areas to make small steps, right? I'm a little bit more patient. I focus on the good, I focus on you know, showing appreciation with this being to build the relationship versus being something transactional. I'm gonna apologize versus, oh, that's where I was going before. My apologies were completely transactional. I would give an apology to end a conversation because I wasn't comfortable <laughs> versus giving an apology to take personal responsibility for my thoughts, my feelings and my actions Because I wanted to not only do the right thing, but to build the relationship. And that was a shift for me. But to do all, I haven't done any of this, folks, on my own. Okay? So with that, you guys go check out the gogivermarriage.com. And also, John, you have written some amazing books. I think I've read four or five of your books. And you guys can go to John David Mann. And that's M-A-N-N. That's two N's. JohnDavidMann.com. And folks, you know, as we wrap up, I would love to get just your final thoughts. Let's start with John and then we'll give Anna the last word. How's that?
2: Yeah, I'll end with this. I mean, this is kind of where where we came into this conversation around belief and faith. I'll just give you an example. For years, Anna would tell me I was writing blog posts and articles and editing other people's stuff. And Anna would say, you would be a great novelist. You would write great novels. And I appreciated her saying it. And I would say, thanks, that's really sweet of you. And I didn't believe a word of it. <laughs> I would go, yeah, but you know, she's like, she just loves me. She just thinks I'd be great at anything. She thinks I'd be a great skydiver, she thinks I'd be a great wrestler. I didn't believe it, but she kept saying it. And she didn't nag, she wasn't obnoxious about it, but just, she would just bring it back now and then. she would say, you'd be a great novelist. Or I'd read some novel that I adored and I'd bring it to her and say this and tell her all about it and she would go, Yeah, you could do that. In fact, you would be write amazing novels. And then she got to a point where she was saying, I think that's what God put you here to do. I think that's why you're here is to write novels. Still didn't believe it, but she just kept believing it. She kept believing it until I finally wrote a novel. And now the only reason I could do it, I published my first novel last year and it was Publishers Weekly called it one of the best books of, of the year. I could never have done that if she didn't see it first, you know? faith is the substance of hope. And she had the faith in my novels long before I could see it. They were invisible to me. So I I think believing, just, you know, believe in your partner, believe in your spouse.
0: Beautiful. How about you, Anna? And Anna, I apologize. I called you Anna earlier. I think names are very important. So please forgive (laughs) me for getting your pronouncing your name wrong a few times, but Anna, what is is your final thoughts?
1: Well, I, I certainly want the readers to know that on GoGiverMarriage.com, there is a special for pre-ordering that includes a fireside chat with us. And that also includes some gifts. We did a couple of master classes that we've recorded, and one is on de-escalating conflict, and the other is setting the mindset for lasting love. You know, how do you really set that mindset? So uh, I just want people to know that those are there if they pre-order. And I just want people to know that giving is, you know, just like gossip in a workplace has been well-documented and researched, giving has been well-researched, and it changes your heart. You know, it affects every cell in your body. It decreases depression. It improves your mood. It changes so many different levels, and it changes the receiver as well as the giver. And so one of the best things you can do for your health and for your marriage is to understand that God gives to you constantly. I mean, each and every moment of every day, God is giving to you. The question is, do you see the gifts? Do you see them? And so that's my final message is to realize and remember that giving is the key to a marriage that has not just lasting love, but the kind of love that remains romantic and beautiful right to the very end. So that's the last word, if you will. (laughs)
0: Well, what a beautiful message. You guys are such a a beautiful couple. And thank you for what you're doing in the world. Here's what I know is, I was thinking about this. I shared this with my Bible study last week. I really believe that in the last year, as God has really put on both Don and I's heart to focus on our marriage, that is such a tangible example of the relationship that each one of us have with Jesus and that Jesus wants to have with us. And what I have found is as our marriage has really gotten better and we've been working through things and you know what, I can hear God clear. I have less stress. I make better decisions, like everything, you know, up leveled. And, us. you know, and I think God used this thing that was on both Don and I's heart to really work on our marriage To use that as like, it's not even a metaphor. It's actually, what's the word here? You guys are the writers, right? He used that (laughs) to uh, model exactly what he, the relationship he wants to have with me and Jesus and Donna and Jesus, and then all three of us together. It became real. How's that? It really became real. So there's so many amazing things, the outcome of working on yourself. You know what else has happened too is um, my three boys. They're 23, 22 and 18, 10 years ago, they didn't know me. I was a workaholic today. They're my best friends. Mm. I mean, I've gotten two texts from my son, who's a single dad at 22 during our our interview.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I, I have one other thing I want to add, which is, you know, the parable is the first half of the book, but the second half of the book is how do you employ the five secrets And it's equally important to read that second half of the book. How to, yeah. Yeah, it's really how do you take it into action? And you don't need a coach to take it into action. So I really look forward to hearing from readers. You know, We are really excited to be not only taking the book out there, but teaching and spending our time in, in a ministry of saving marriages all over the world. So we really look forward to hearing from readers, and they can contact us directly through the website.
0: Yeah, which is gogivermarriage.com, correct? Yes. That is it. All right, Anna, John, you guys rock. Keep knocking them alive out there. And we need your voice <laughs> in this world more than ever. And uh, I just pray that God continues to bless all that you do. And for everybody listening, I would just encourage you to just take a small step. Each day, just take a small step. And all of a sudden, you're going to get to a place like, wow. I never thought I could have a family that I hate to be away from and I can't wait to get home to. And that is a good place. All right. With that, you guys keep rocking. Um, You're awesome.